Morning. Hey, turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. That's where we're going to be today. Back in Romans, uh, starting up uh, again in our series. Going to finish by the spring here. We'll be done with Romans by, uh, by the start of summer. So this is an exciting, we're coming to the finish here of a great, great epistle. And as you're turning there, why don't we all, uh, why don't we all stand uh, and uh, pray together, shall we? Let's pray and ask God to bless this time of studying His Word and of seeking His face. Let's, uh, let's stand and let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You for this morning. I thank You for a new year. Lord, we, we love new beginnings. And I pray, Father, that this would be a fresh, fresh new year for us. It would be a time, Lord, of renewal. A time of, of transformation, of change. I pray that we would look back on 2010 and, and learn from our mistakes. That we would learn from where we fell and where we grew tired or lagging in faith. I pray, Lord, that this next year we would be renewed in our spirit. That we would be filled by Your Spirit. That we would set a course for the future, Father. Both for ourselves, our families, and our church. A course that would be pleasing in Your sight. God, give us a great year. And now as we look into Your Word, Lord, show us Your truth. Show us what You have for us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Hey, uh, I was able to, to travel up north uh, to Paradise to see my folks uh, this past week. And I came home with a nice cold. But we had a, we had a great time going up to uh, Chico Paradise area up in Northern California. I love the drive. It uh, takes about you know, 10 hours with the kids. Sometimes 11, depending on how the kids are doing. Uh, but nevertheless, when we got home, we looked in our mailbox and we saw something like that. I mean, there was just like there was mail everywhere, right? Junk mail and, and Christmas cards that got there a couple days late. And all I mean, just piles and piles and piles of mail. And among the many things as I was sorting through the mail, just having been gone only a few days I couldn't believe how many renewal notices there were. Apparently, you know, we had subscribed to magazines in the past and different publications. And I guess I guess the thought of the companies is, hey, everybody gets maybe some cash during Christmas. Maybe they get a cash gift or something. So now's a good time to send out that renewal notice so that they have cash in hand to, you know, mark the renewal and, and send it back. But uh, I ended up looking at all these renewals and I ended up, you know, tearing up each and every one because we're, we're trying to trim our budget a little bit. I'm just like I'm sure many of you are. And so we're, I'm just tearing up all these renewal notices. But I've noticed in the past, every time I tear up one of those renewal notices, they come back again and again and again. And by the way, the publication that I'm not renewing keeps coming again and again and again. So I have this theory. I'm going to I'm going to stop all renewals. And see if I still get all the same publications. Because so far, none of them have stopped. I, I don't know. Call me crazy, but I think they're going to keep coming. But anyway, you, you know what it's like to get junk mail and renewal notices. Well, today, today, the Apostle Paul is going to be sending you a renewal notice. 
The Apostle Paul is going to be mailing you a notice in the mail. And you're going to get it. And on the front, it's, going to, it's not going to say a renewal notice for a magazine subscription. It's not going to say a renewal for a membership in some certain kind of club. No, this renewal is a spiritual renewal service. A spiritual renewal service. The title of my message in Romans uh, chapter 12, our first part in Romans 12, is Spiritual Renewal Notice. Spiritual Renewal Notice. We're going to find out what that means. But before we get into Romans 12, I wanted to talk briefly about where we've been at in the book. For those of you that haven't um, been with us for some time, or maybe you've kind of lost track uh, after the Christmas holiday, uh, where are we in the book of Romans? Well, we're actually in um, a, the, the third major section in the book in Romans. So I want to break it down for you here. Let's, let's start at the top. We started off at the top. Uh, chapter 1, 1 to 17 was like the introduction and the purpose of Romans. Uh, particularly verses 16 and 17, you find the purpose statement or the thesis of Romans. And then Paul spends an enormous chunk. I mean, his first major section of the letter is 118 to 838, in which he's talking about law versus grace. And he's talking about justification, sanctification, glorification, how all these concepts relate. He's particularly focused there, though, on law and grace. Um, and and that, that, was, that comprised the main body of the book. So a lot of theology right there in, in the first eight chapters. And then we get to chapter 9, and we were just in there for uh, the fall. We talked about Israel. And we talked in chapters 9, 10, and 11 about the plan for Israel. What, what happened in the past? What's happening now with Israel? And what's going to happen in the future? And so Paul was going through answering some of the uh, questions of the Jews and of Messianic Jews and of Gentiles who had questions about the future. Of Israel, and, and Paul was very clear. He said, "Look, God is not done with them. God has a plan for Israel, and we see that plan carrying out even in our day with with the nation of Israel back in their own land, the only nation in human history to ever have been dispersed and regathered in the same place, notwithstanding 1,900 years between them. And now we come to the third major section in Romans." And it is chapter 12, verse 1 to 15, 13. And I'm titling this Honorable Christian Living. A lot of people will just say Christian Living, but I want to focus on the word honorable here or moral or upright Christian living. And Paul is going to be talking about here, he's going to be talking about practical, practical, practical outworking of the Christian faith. What does it look like in the day to day? And I know for many of us who having come through a whole lot of theology in chapters 1 through 8, and another large section of doctrine in 9, 10, 11, this, this will be a little bit of a refresher, of refreshment for us as we get to some of the, the nuts and bolts of the Christian faith. How do I do it? How do I walk my daily walk? And then uh, finally, Paul has a conclusion at the end of uh, the book. Now, within... Chapters 12, 13, 14, and 15, there's actually a subsection. And so I want to concentrate on that and, and bring that to the forefront here. So within this, in chapter 12, you've got individual ethics. Paul's going to talk about how you personally can be moral and upright and honorable before God. Secondly, he's going to talk about societal ethics. He's going to talk about how do you relate to your government? 
How do you relate to your neighbor? How do you relate to, to those nearby you? And finally, he's going to talk about church ethics. He's going to say, how do we relate to one another? And he's going to do a little bit of that in chapter 12 as well. But, but 14 and 15, which, by the way, is my favorite part of Romans. I love, love that third section. Um, he's going to talk a lot about how to deal with brothers and sisters in the church. Practical. We're going to be practical for the next number of months here at Coast going through these sections of the book. And they are excellent ones, ones that are filled, filled with good teaching and truth. So let's get to it. Romans chapter 12. If you would, please stand with me as I read verses 1 through 5 of Romans chapter 12. Romans 12, verses 1 through 5, the reading of God's Word. Paul writes, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. You may be seated. It was difficult to break up uh, this part in Romans. We were either going to stop at verse 5 or continue on for quite a ways. So it's kind of a blunt stop, but we're going to stop there nevertheless and get to the rest of uh, that section next week. But first, let's focus in on verse 1. Paul writes, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Paul has a different tone to the start of this whole section. He begins this brand new section of Romans with a key verb, beseech. It means to beg. It means to urge. It means to plead with, to exhort, to encourage. I beseech you. I beseech you. Paul here, he isn't, uh, he isn't speaking strongly about doctrine or theology. Instead, he's coming, coming to you almost on his knees. He's saying, listen to this. You must hear this. This is of incredible importance. Something I want you to consider. I urge you, I beg you, therefore, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, I beg you by the mercies of God. That is, in view of, or in accordance with, the mercies of God. We say, well, what mercies is he speaking about? Well, Paul has just mentioned a great deal of mercy. Do you remember chapters 9, 10, and 11 in Romans? What was Paul speaking about? He was speaking about, primarily, God's mercy to Israel. Israel had shunned God. Israel had, had abandoned the Lord had forsaken God, had shaken her fist at God, and had a hard heart, a stubborn heart. And God nevertheless looked upon the people of Israel 
and said, I'm not done with you yet. I'm not done with you yet. Despite the fact that you've cast me aside, pushed me away. In chapter 11 of Romans, Paul writes again and again that God is coming back to Israel. He's going to shine His face again upon His people. And they will again call upon His name and be delivered on the last day. God has shown great mercy. And not only to Israel, but to us, the Gentiles. Most of us in this room are Gentiles, not all. But most of us in this room are, are we're not uh, Jewish by ethnicity. We've been grafted into the family of God. We've been brought in. We were once far away, but we've been reconciled and brought near to God through the person of Jesus Christ. And so we have received mercy. And Israel's received mercy. Everyone has received mercy. And Paul says, I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you. And I'm appealing to something that is compelling. The mercy of God. I'm appealing to something that is historically compelling. God has shown mercy to Israel despite her stubbornness. God has shown mercy to the Gentiles despite their waywardness. Paul is appealing to something that is historically compelling to motivate us to do something for God. Namely, to give our very lives to Him. You know, we do this often actually in our own lives. We often try to motivate others by appealing to something that's historically significant. For instance, you know, if I, if I need, uh, maybe, you know, have you ever needed help with something? And you call up your friend and you say, hey, uh, hey, Joe, hey, remember that time when I helped you out a couple months back? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I need some help right now. Could you come over and help me? What, what am I doing there? I'm appealing to something that I've done in the past, which was significant, which was helpful, which was of benefit to the person I'm requesting something from. And I'm saying, hey, Joe, I helped you back then. Would you help me right now? We do that in our day to day lives often. Paul's doing this, but in so, in so much of a greater way. What Paul's doing is he's saying, hey, hey, Jews, hey, Gentiles, do you remember the mercies of God? Do you remember that when you shook your fist at God, he still showed you mercy? Do you remember that when you sinned against God, he still showed you mercy? Do you remember that no matter what you've ever done, God in Christ shows you mercy? And we say, yeah, I remember. And Paul says, because of that, listen to what I'm about to tell you. I want you to do something for me. Because of that compelling reason, do this. If God has shown you mercy, in light of that, present your bodies a living sacrifice to Him. Present your bodies a living sacrifice to Him. Now this is... Uh, Paul here is appealing to the sacrificial system, right? He's appealing to his audience, which is kind of familiar with, 
some of that, uh, many Gentiles in the audience, but no less, nevertheless Jews as well, who are familiar with the sacrificial system of Israel. But this is different. Present your bodies a living sacrifice in contrast to animal sacrifice. Paul says, put your bodies before God. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. See, this would not be a sacrifice that was to be consumed on the altar. This was not to be a sacrifice that was going to be cut and destroyed. This is a sacrifice that was meant to be very much alive. Continuing. Not for destruction, but a sacrifice of service. Of life service. And he says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Present. You see, whether we know it or not, every day we present, we put up for inspection, if you will. Or we put, we put up for disposal, for, for use. We, every minute of every day, put forth our bodies at the disposal of God or at the disposal of our enemy. Every minute of every day, we put forth our bodies. We say, here it is. And we're either giving it to the Lord or we're giving it to our enemy. Paul knew of this quite well. I want you to, it's not on the screen, but I want you to turn back to Romans 6. Look at Romans 6 in your, in your Bibles here. Paul knew of, of the, the, the dichotomy of the choice of where to present our body. He knew that there were only two places to present it. And he, he writes this in verse 12. Therefore, in, in chapter 6, verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts and do not present, same Greek word, your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Present you, you either present the members of your body for unrighteousness, for the enemy's sake, or you present your body to the Lord for His sake. And you make this choice every minute of every day. Paul continues in verse 16. He writes in chapter 6, 16, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slave whom you obey? whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Jump to verse 19. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness that led to more lawlessness, so now, so now, resolve this. Present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard. You were empty in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Two choices. You either present your body to the enemy. And Paul says, and what fruit does that bear? What does it get you? Where does it get you at the end of the day? It gets you death. It gets you 
emptiness. It gives you spiritual dryness and, and absolute apathy. It makes you cold. It makes you hard. Sure, it'll satisfy in the moment. But the moment that temptation and that sin is over, the moment you, that indulgence is over, it brings you grief. It brings you sorrow. It brings you pain. It brings distance between you and those you love. Man, sin does not satisfy. I, I'm learning this every day. Every day, more and more, I'm learning sin just does not satisfy. And I think, you know, the older we get, the wiser we get, we recognize that that temporary indulgence, while pleasurable in the moment, you know, it's fun to sin in the moment. It's fun to indulge the flesh in the moment. But having the foresight to say, you know what, five minutes from now, I am going to be so upset with myself. Five minutes from now, I'm going to be so separated from God. Five minutes from now, if I indulge in this sin, I'm going to walk away thinking, Lord, I can't, I'm, I'm failing. If we have that foresight and recognize that we're either presenting our bodies before the enemy or before God, but it takes, it takes the mind, friends. And by the way, that's where Paul's headed. He's going to be talking about the mind. It takes the mind to recognize that, you know what? I need to realize that I am putting my body at the disposal of someone's use. It's either Satan's use or it's my Lord's use. And looking back on this last year, I, I ask you, who did you present your body to? Who did you present your body to? Who did you present yourself to in this past month? Who did you present yourself to in this past week? Last night, who did you present your body to? Who... At whose disposal were you? Were you at God's disposal? Were you at the enemy's disposal? Every minute of every day, we are presenting ourselves before God or before our enemy. And God wishes that we would have holy and acceptable service and not be used for dishonorable purposes. God is calling us to be holy and acceptable, according to verse 1. And He has grounded this call in His mercy toward us. And there is good reason to obey this call, which brings us to the last two words of verse 1. Paul calls it reasonable service. Reasonable service. Now, we might get the impression, and it could be the case, though I don't necessarily think so. We might get the impression that Paul is saying that this is a reasonable thing to do. And I think Paul believes that. Um, but I think our English translation is a bit abrupt there. Um, in fact, all the, all the scholars would tell you that these two words uh, in Greek are incredibly difficult to translate. Um, the two words, uh, logiken latreian in Greek, is a, is a phrase that you see a variety of translations uh, among your different English Bibles. And what, what Paul could be saying is, yeah, it's a reasonable thing to do. And that's probably in his mindset. But nevertheless, something more to the point is perhaps this. The word reasonable there, logikin in Greek, means thoughtful 
or rational. It brings it should bring our attention to the mind. It comes from the word legizomai, which means to reckon, to think, to calculate. And the word service there, latreian, is used by Paul and the author of Hebrews to refer to Old Testament priestly activity and ritual. So the word service there is referring to Old Testament activity, ritual, priestly service. And so Paul essentially is saying here, he says, I beseech you, I beg you, brother, brothers, in view of the mercy of God, for good reason I'm begging you to do this. Looking back at what God has done for us, put your bodies before the Lord as a living sacrifice, a holy and acceptable sacrifice. And this is something that is thoughtful service, that is mindful, rational activity, rational priestly activity. Paul is starting to explain what this means. He's saying this is something This sacrifice that I'm asking you to do is something that starts in the mind. What Paul is driving at here is that this sacrifice that you and I are meant to give to God is a service, a priestly service that begins here in the mind. And is it any wonder then that Paul goes on in verse 2 to say that exact thing? Notice what he says in verse 2. He says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, verse 2 serves as a blueprint, if you will, for how we can become a living sacrifice to God. And the first step of that blueprint is a negative step. It's something that is said in the negative. And Paul says, do not be conformed to the world. Do not be conformed to the world. A famous passage that many of us know all too well is 1 John chapter 2, in which the Apostle John writes this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh... The lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. This, this passage is not, a, is not meant to call into question our, our salvation. We're not to look at this and say, oh my goodness, I, I don't have a lot of love, so that means maybe the, the Father is not in me. No, that's not what the passage is saying. In fact, it says the love of God is not in you. The love of the Father is not in you. If you're not loving other believers and neighbors and people that happen upon your way and on your path, then the love of the Father is not in you. You're not acting becoming of the God you serve. You're not acting in a way that's becoming of the Messiah you believe in. The first step is a negative one. Do not be conformed to this world. What are you drawn to in the world? Are you drawn to money? Are you drawn to sex? Are you drawn to power? Are you drawn to alcohol or drugs? Are you drawn to gambling? Are you drawn to pornography? What are you drawn to? This world, this world draws all of us. I, I, I know my lures. I know, I know what 
tempts me? What tempts you? What is it in this world that tempts you and that lures you? It starts here, friends. It starts with a process of identifying what is it, Lord? What is it that pushes my buttons? What is it that tempts me? That compels me? What is it that lures my flesh? We need to know what it is. We need to evaluate what that is. We need to identify it. Name it. We can't fight that which we have not identified. We can't combat an enemy that we don't know who it is. As Joseph in the Old Testament left his coat in the hands of Potiphar's wife, so we also must run away from the things that lure us. Joseph, he he was being lured by Potiphar's wife and, and she grabbed onto his cloak and he left it. He abandoned it. He let go of what was precious to him and ran and got away. And in the same way, Paul is saying, look, don't be conformed to this world. You need to run away from what lures you. If alcohol is what lures you, you need to avoid putting yourself in situations where alcohol is going to be served. You need to avoid it. And you know what? That's going to take some sacrifice. It's going to take not going to a certain party. If money is what lures you, you need to find ways to be content in what you have before the Lord. You need to grab somebody, a mature Christian man or woman, to remind you frequently, daily if needed, you don't need this. You don't need more. You can be content with what you have. What is it that lures you? You need to abandon it. You need to run away from it. I think that uh, internet pornography is perhaps one of the most pervasive uh, sins that plagues both Christian men and women today. And one of the things that I wrote, we, we did a, for those of you that were here last week, we did a Christian life inventory last week. And for those of you that missed it, I'll, I'll, I'll have some copies for you. We kind of evaluated our life. And one of the questions that I asked under the family section was, um, do I have a plan to ensure my spouse and my children's purity for all television and computer use. Friends, I, I can't tell you how critical that is for each of you to answer, both men and women. Wives, do you have a plan in place to ensure your family's purity on the television and on the computer? Husbands, do you have a plan in place to ensure that. If you don't, you're keeping the cloak on and you're not running away. There's some things that we just need to let go or abandon. In other, chance, in other times, maybe there's certain filters or things that we can do to, to put in place that would help us stay pure and stay holy before the Lord. Step one, do not be conformed. Run away. Run away. You know, that will take sacrifice. It will take leaving things you like. It will take stopping things that you like to do. Run away. Step two is positive. Be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind. That means to participate regularly in thoughtful and rational activity that is Christ-centered. I've given you uh, three scriptures here. Actually, uh, yeah, I, I gave it to you underneath uh, in your outline there. Colossians uh, chapter 3, verse 16, 1 Timothy 4, 15, Philippians 4, 6 and 8. I'm not going to read all three of those, but turn to the Philippians one for now. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Chapter 4, verse 6 through 8. Notice, um, notice the focus on the mind here and on, just on, on what, we're, what we're meditating on, what we're thinking about. Notice what Paul writes here. He says, Philippians 4, 6 through 8, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, pure, lovely, of good report, if there's anything, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. You know, we focus on the word meditate in verse 8, but really the, the idea of meditation and of focus begins all the way up at verse 6. In verse 6, Paul says, stop being anxious. Instead, present all prayers and supplications to God. Let that be the meditation of your heart. That you're constantly asking God for help. Praying to Him. Offering supplication. Saying, God, help me with this. Help me with this. I need your deliverance. I need your assistance. Verse 6 is all about just putting it forth. Everything, everything from the smallest of details in your life to the largest. One of the mistakes that I make, I make often. I mentioned to you last week, I, I've been struggling in, in, in having a, a, a vibrant prayer life. That's been one of my struggles as I, as I took this inventory here of my life. Uh, my prayer life has not been as vibrant as I'd like it to be. And one of the struggles that I think, one of the things that I've come aware of is that I'm not asking Him for some of the smaller things. I'm only waiting for those large requests. For those, okay, Lord, I'm in trouble here. Paul says in, in Philippians 4, 6, he says, look, in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. Let them be small requests. Let them be large requests. Talk to Him. Ask Him. Communicate with Him. And the peace of God will start guarding your heart and your mind. And you'll start meditating on all these things that are good and praiseworthy and just and true and noble. That's the process of renewing the mind. It's starting to communicate with God. Starting to think about Him through everything, especially the small details of life. When you have a cold. When you're tired and need... A pick-me-up from the Lord. When you're lazy, Lord, pick me up. The smallest of things to the largest of things. Whatever it is. Ask God. Ask Him. Talk to Him. Communicate with Him. Paul says, pray continually. 
It doesn't mean pray every second, but it means let prayer be something that is constantly on your lips. You should be talking to God as you drive to work. You should be talking to God when you get up and when you lie down. Talking to God in the shower. Sometimes I do that. I think it's a great time to talk to the Lord. Wherever you are, whenever, you, whenever it is, whatever it is, talk to God. This transformation, this renewal, friends, it takes time. But as you undertake this process, you will be coming into alignment with the will of God for you. And that's exactly what Paul says. He says at the end of verse 2, Why do we do all this? That you may be able... Excuse me, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, the word approve there is the Greek word dokimazane. We talk a lot about uh, the adjective of that word, dokimos, which means to be approved before God or to have demonstrated faithfulness before God. And the same idea is probably in view here. Paul is. Uh, sometimes we get the impression that, uh, that Romans 12.2 is speaking about um, experimentation. Like, uh, you know, hey, renew your mind and experiment a little and you'll, find, you'll encounter God's will. That's probably the furthest from Paul's mind here. He's not talking about a process of, of testing and, and trying and, oh, I found it. Paul is talking about doing it. He's talking about demonstrating it. He's talking about proving God's will in your life. And the way we do God's will is not to conform to this world, but to be transformed by regular practices of meditating on God's word and thinking about the things of God. And Paul says that as we do these things, we demonstrate, we prove that God's will for us is in fact good and acceptable. And perfect. In essence, as one theologian put it, Paul is saying, try this. You will like it. Try this. You will like it. I think of uh, the book uh, Green Eggs and Ham. How many of you have read Green Eggs and Ham? Oh, shameful. Pitiful. All of you should have raised your hands. Go home right now and, and buy Green Eggs and Ham and read it. It's a classic. All the while, you know... Uh, uh, Sam I am is, is trying to convince oh, what's his name I don't, even know, I don't even know if the other guy has a name right Sam I am that's Sam I am I do not like that Sam I am I do not like green eggs and ham so anyway the guy who doesn't want to eat green eggs and ham I don't know what his name is but the little Sam I am he's trying to convince them come on try it try it you will like it try it try it you will like it do you want it in a boat do you want it on a, with a goat do you want it in a box do you want it with a fox? And all the while, the guy's saying, no, I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want it. And finally, at the end, he says, try it. Try it. You will see. You may like it if you try it. I wish I had the book. I'd quote it perfectly then. Try it. You will like it. Sure enough, in the book, he tries it and he likes it. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, try it. You will like it. It will prove to you that God's will is good and acceptable and perfect. It is pleasing. It is beneficial. It is advantageous. It is the way we were meant to live. 
It is the way we were meant to live. We're going to skip to verse 3 here. You know, there are many things of God that we should be meditating on that will spur us on to spiritual growth and intimacy with Him. And among them, Paul says, is the idea of considering your individual role in the body of Christ. And that is the topic of the next few verses of chapter 12. We're going to touch on them briefly today, and then we'll get to them more significantly next week. But look at verses 3 through 5 as we come toward the end. Paul says, For I say... Through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but not all members, uh, uh, but, but all, all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Let's zero in on verse 3 here for a moment. And again, now, a part, a part of this meditative process, this mind renewal process that Paul is asking us to do, a part of this is coming to grips with a humble view of oneself. Paul says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think soberly. This is a message for everyone, Paul says, to everyone Who is among you, I say this. And Paul himself was not immune to the message. He says, for I say, through the grace given to me. In other words, Paul says, look, my own gifts, my own abilities, everything that I am, Paul says, is not mine, but it's God's. It's from God. It's for God. Through the grace given to me, I say to you, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. For who has given us the abilities that we have? Who has given us the gifts, the spiritual gifts that we have? God has. As God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Now that phrase, measure of faith, in verse 3 is uh, is a key one there. We should recognize, if you look down at verse 6 of uh, Romans 12, look down at verse 6 and it reads, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. There, Paul is talking very specifically about spiritual gifts, different gifts that God has given to us. And therefore, when we encounter the phrase measure of faith back in verse three, that's the same concept in view. He's saying God has given to each one a measure of faith. That is to say, a measure of ability, a measure of spiritual gifting, a measure of of, uh, skill to be used in the body of Christ. And in the world, why should we think soberly of ourselves? Because our abilities are not our own. They are gifts from God. God gifts me in one way, and He gifts you in other ways, and He gifts you in other ways, and the whole body works together. Verse 4, we're not all the same, Paul writes, for as we have many members in one body, I've got arms, I've got legs, I've got a head, Paul says, for we have many members in one body, a physical body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, the church, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Many parts to the physical body, but each part does its own particular function. Members do not have the same function. So it is in the church. 
so it is among the body of Christ. Each member has a part to play. So we being many are one body in Christ. And we are individually members of one another. Members of one another. That means what one of us does affects the other. What one of us fails to do affects the other. And so Paul here is beginning to walk down this road of showing us an aspect of changing our mind about how we approach life. And he's talking specifically about some individual ethics that can help us grow and also help the church grow. But we're going to get more to this concept of spiritual gifts and, 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 and serving the church uh, next week. In fact, we're going, to, we're going to dive in pretty deeply into the concept of spiritual gifts. I know many of us have maybe done various studies in the, in the uh, gifts of the Spirit, but we're going to have a, a real fresh and innovative study next week going through uh, how spiritual gifts, how we've been gift, given a gift by God, maybe more than one, and how we need to be using it in the body of Christ. But first, I want to finish with some application. What have we learned today that we can take with us? Number one, we've learned this. Reject conformity to this world. Reject conformity to this world. I want to urge you to identify which worldly traps you have fallen into and develop a plan of escape. I mean that. A plan of escape. You need to let go of that coat and run away. What lures you? Money, sex, power, alcohol, pornography, foul language, anger, wrath, bitterness, gossip, laziness. What lures you? You need to run away from it. You need others to help you, hold you accountable to it. There are people here who would love to do that. Number two, seek renewal. Meditate regularly on God's Word and the things of God. Renewal. Anakinosis in Greek. Renewal. New life. We need to be renewing our mind. We need to be thinking differently. Thinking about God all day. Talking to Him throughout the day. Meditating on His Word and the things of God. And finally, think soberly of yourself. Remember that all that you have is from God. We're going to talk about how that comes into play as you serve the body of Christ. This is the beginning, friends, of a variety of messages on some practical outworking of the Christian faith. I pray that you take this practical application to heart as we begin this new section in Romans. Let's close in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for just a, a breath of fresh air in Your Word. I thank You, Lord, for a passage that is just rich in truth. Rich, Lord, in, in substance. We know, we know the blueprint, God. We're to reject the world. Conformity to it. We're to be renewed. And it starts in our minds. God, I pray that as we begin this new year, You would be at the forefront of our mind that we would think about You. We would be communicating with You regularly, wherever we are. Talking about You with others, with our families, even with those at work. Lord, may You begin a process of anakinosis, renewal in us. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.